Good, good stuff right there. Um, how fitting, especially after we've uh, walked through John 3.16 um, and are going to uh, work through verse 21 today. So if you have your Bible, grab those. We'll start in John 3.17 here in just a few minutes. And um, uh, the game plan is to finish up kind of this little portion of, of John 3 here. We'll finish up um, what we started in 16, which took us four weeks, and then we'll cover these last few verses here to verse 21 uh, today. Uh, and so just to kind of bring everybody up to speed, uh, where we've been over the last four weeks, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have uh, eternal life or everlasting uh, life. And we just walked through that and we looked at those big, heavy, weighty words uh, because we believe that it's more than just a verse uh, that you teach your kids or more than just a verse that you just uh, quote when it's Bible verse quote time. Um, and we, we believe that there is and just some weighty, weighty beautiful truth just embedded within that scripture um, and, and it gets even better as we continue today like if we if we stop with just John three sixteen, I feel like we shortchange ourselves uh, all the more to what God's really saying even in 16 as it continues on uh, into uh, 17 and so I, I saw a quote this week that I think really just kind of sums up for us uh, John three sixteen. so well J- John Piper says this he says uh, the sending of the son is love because it was deeply costly for God. It was infinitely beneficial to us, and it was absolutely free. Uh, Salvation is a free gift of God, uh, whereby he offers his son that that whoever believes in him comes to faith in what Jesus Christ has done, the redemptive work on the cross, taking our sin and our shame upon himself. Uh, And it's a free gift. We walk into that in faith. We believe in in that reality that he defeated sin, death, grave, and and hell. And he rose again three days later to rule and reign. And uh, seeing ourselves sinful, wicked, and in need of a savior, um, we enter into faith. And that's what salvation is for us. And it's absolutely free. And all the cost was on God. All the cost was on God. And so we spent four weeks walking through that, looking at that. And today, uh, like I said, it's just going to get sweeter as the story continues to go. And I'm going to ask you uh, if you would join me as we pray, and then we'll jump into 17 here uh, in a moment. Father, we love you. Again, Jesus, we pray that you would just move and speak in this place this morning. God, we ask that you would just invade the spaces of our heart. And God, that you would tune us into what you have to say. God, that you would draw us back to you, that you would captivate us all the more by your love, your grace, your mercy. Father, that we would be completely sold out to you, for you. God, desiring you far above anything else. Uh, Father, may, may these verses be verses that dictate and drive us as followers of Jesus. Uh, and Father, for us this morning in this place that, that have never walked into faith, believing in you as the Son of God, maybe knowing who you are, but never uh, by faith entered into relationship with you, casting all that we are upon you. Father, I, I pray this morning that you, would, that you would save the lost. God, God, that you would save the lost. And Lord, maybe even the lost this morning in this place is someone who's been in church their whole life and didn't even know that they're lost. And th- this morning that the Holy Spirit would uh, awaken in them that reality of their need for you. And it's so much more than just a knowledge of who Jesus is and can tell the story and even recite a verse, God, but it's, but it's that of complete abandonment and faith to you. So Father, I just, I, I want to give you freedom to do whatever you see fit in this place this morning. God, I, I beg of you to use me somehow, some way. Father, may the men and women in this room and tuning in online and will watch it this week, God, may they hear your voice and may they submit to you in glad obedience. 
God, work in this place, I beg of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so the thing that we've got to remember, we've got to, uh, to understand is that everything that is being said here uh, is in response to a conversation that Jesus has at the very beginning of this uh, uh, chapter uh, with a man named Nicodemus who is a, a religious leader of the day. And, and so that whole conversation goes uh, about what he has to do to inherit eternal life and, and Jesus tells him that he must be born again and then he finally gets over to this place where he, he looks at and uh, says John three sixteen, and then it continues to go on. And if we don't understand that this scripture is just surrounded and embedded by the love of God, we will go in places we should never go. And so we've got to make sure that we understand that the whole motivation behind what we're looking at this morning is the love of God. It is his, his passionate desire uh, to rescue and redeem uh, people. And so just, just listen as this continuation goes from, from 16 to 17. It says this. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's the whole purpose of Jesus. To come to rescue and redeem. It was a rescue mission that Jesus was on. That's what that verse tells us. So coming from 316 to, to 17, that love, that sending of the Son was to do what? Was, was to save and rescue fallen man. That's the whole heart behind Jesus being here. Jesus is sent in human nature as our representative and our substitute. And there on the cross, in the suffering of his Son, what does God do but condemn sin? That's what God does. And hear me, church, every single one of us in this room is either under or we were under God's condemnation because of our sin, because of our wickedness. Romans 5, 6 says it like this, while they were still sinless or sinful, while they were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So while they, while us, fallen, unregenerate man, were in that condition of our lostness at the right time, Christ dies. He comes and makes a way. So what does it mean that Christ died for the ungodly? Well, Romans 8.3 tells us that God poured out on his son the condemnation that we rightfully deserve. That God pours out on fallen man condemnation. So he condemned sin. Whose sin? Our sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Christ's flesh. That's what God does. That's what Jesus absorbs on the cross. So God sends Jesus to ransom and redeem, to make a way. That's why Jesus comes, to redeem and rescue. And the reality of that should wreck us. Uh, the reality of that, of, of God saving and rescuing us, it, it should just teetotally just, just, just ruin us in a good way. Ruin us. I, I mean, that's the, that's the big why to everything we do as believers, is the love of Christ, what he has done, what he has shown for us. And so the illustration that I always use is this, is that Jesus doesn't get us at our best, but what he rescues us at our worst it's not a go home and make yourself better or try to fix yourself or try to get over that addiction or try to uh, clean up the edges or try to uh, make it look nice and neat and then come. No, no. He wants you in that condition that you're currently in. Because if there's any other condition, any other way, then you can get credit for it. You can get glory for it. And God doesn't share his glory. So Jesus comes and he dies for us. When we're at our worst, not at our best. And that reality should wreck us. 
That's the why we gather in this place. That's the why we tell others about Jesus. That's the why we live sold out, devoted, wholeheartedly lives for him. When we understand and realize what Jesus has done for us, and when we realize and understand what 317, he did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that through him that we might be saved, then why would we not live lives sold out to? Why would we not live lives grateful for? I mean, the continuation of 16 to 17 is just beautiful. Jesus came to get us, to save us. And then in verse 18, what we're going to see here is there's going to be this, this shift in language. There's going to be something that takes place here. Um, and this type of language that we're very familiar with, uh, that, we're, that, that we know well about. Um, and we, we just love this type of language, really, kind of in our day, in our age today. We, it, it's language that's, that kind of revolves around like law and justice. I mean, is our culture and world not just obsessed with law and justice? I mean, my goodness. I mean, if, if you would sit down this week in the evenings and Monday through next Saturday night before we gather in this place, you will be able to find a TV show that centers around law and justice, we not? I mean, I just, I just pinned some down just, just off, uh, off the cuff here with, with some memory. And, and I don't know where you fault in this. I can remember the original of this one. But, but what about Magnum P.I.? I like the mustache one better, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the original. Give me some John Selleck any day of the week, you know what I'm saying? But, but Magnum P.I., that centers around law and justice. What about this one? Law and order. My goodness, how long has SVU been going? And, and is it, it's like a drug, is it not? Like, you'll sit there, and if you get sucked in watching one of those, and you don't disconnect before the next one comes on, you're done for the next hour. I mean, I mean it's, it's like a Hallmark movie type thing. You're just like, oh my gosh, what do they do to her? They'll get her. Olivia, she'll catch her and she'll, uh, this is going to be, watch this. But, but, but I can't go. She says, it's been two minutes. I said, but I'm hooked. I mean, law and order, SVU. I mean, now they've got a new one, a spinoff from one of the characters that left a while back. Now he's back and it's called Organized Crime. And now, now that one's here. Again, all centered around what? Law and order and justice. Here, here's a couple maybe newer ones. All rise. Can you imagine what that one's about? It's about the courtroom, right? It's about a judge. It follows this, this lady judge and it's just judge and it's the courtroom and it's justice. What about this? The, uh, the TV show Bull. Bull is one that's on right now. Bull is about this guy that helps like uh, figure out juries and, and uh, kind of avenues to be able to argue for uh, his witness or for his uh, clients and things like that to try to, uh, to prove their innocence. I mean, it, it's about justice, what about this one, NCIS? I mean, I mean, crime scene investigation type stuff. I mean, what's that? That's all about justice and finding who did what bad and, and how they can punish them and how they can, they can get them. What about this one, CSI? My goodness, wasn't there a CSI for every daggum city in the U.S.? I mean, Chicago, Orlando, Los Angeles. I mean, there was a CSI everywhere. Here, here's, a, here's another one, fun one, that, that I, I can remember the original. I date myself a little bit as a kid. But MacGyver, holy cow, was that not awesome? I mean, he could blow this room up with an alcohol wipe and a piece of bubble gum. Why would you not love it? Or like if the roof is caving in, just give me a toothpick. I can fix this. I'm like, like this 5,000 pound roof is going to cave in, but he can fix it with a toothpick. And he does, and it's stronger than it was when the people built it. I mean, MacGyver was the man. 
I mean, he was all, you couldn't capture the guy. You couldn't uh, upset him or frustrate him. There, there was a way to figure out when he was in a pickle. I mean, he could, he could rescue in any moment. And again, what was it to do? It was to, for justice's purpose, for justice. Uh, what about this one? SWAT. Anybody SWAT? Like, SWAT, like, like, how can you not love SWAT? They go come in and blow up something, shoot somebody, and like take stuff down. Like, it's going to be great. I mean, I mean, SWAT, I mean, what's that? That centers again around what? Capturing the bad guy, finding out who did what. Going into horrific situations and, and getting and rescuing people. I mean, Chicago PD, that's one. What about Blue, Blue Bloods? Blue Bloods is another one based in New York. I mean, it's all, I mean, there's all these TV shows. And you've probably got your favorites. And there's probably someone on the list that I didn't even mention. Like, like what about this one? Life PD. Holy, yes, amen, brother. Preacher, preacher. I mean, and I guess the reason why we get into Life PD is because like, that, that stuff's real, yo. You know what I mean? Like, there really are people out there that crazy. And do you, like, know there's some of those are filmed in South Carolina crazy. And probably some of us are, or our cousins maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying. But, but life, why? It's all centered around justice. It's all centered around catching those crazies that are doing the bad stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And was not life pity just a great, like, teaching moment for your kids? Buddy, this is why you don't do drugs. Other than fear of the Lord, and we want to be obedient to what he's called, you don't want to be on the lawnmower driving down the middle of the road in the median. I'm just saying. But again, it's all based around what? Justice. Catching people doing wrong. Like I said, I mean, we could watch every night of the week and we could find these TV shows and probably a plethora of others. We just love it, do we not? Like we, we love that stuff. We're into it. We want to see the bad guy get caught. And we want to see justice served. We want to see them get their rightful uh, due, what they've, what they've deserved and how crazy they've been or what they've done wrong. We, we, want to see, we want to see good prevail. And we're good with that as long as it doesn't have to do with us. Because when it has to do with us, then we want grace and mercy. You won't give me the ticket, will you, officer? I mean, I, I had to pay, or I had to, my kids are, I mean, we come up with all these excuses, or we come, it's like we're good with justice as long as it doesn't do with us. And so what we're going to see here in verse 18 is Jesus is going to start to use these legal terms. He's going to use language of the courtroom. It's language of judgment. A judge says what? Condemned or not condemned. That's the kind of language that a judge uses. So Jesus moved from life and death to, to guilty and not guilty. Uh, look at what he says. Verse 18. Let's walk through that. It says, whoever believes in him. Who is him? Him. Him here is Jesus. Remember, links back to 16. Whoever believes in Jesus. Believes. Remember, just a few weeks ago, we walked through that. It's more than the intellectual. It's a, a trust and commitment to Christ as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but He's Lord of your life. That's what belief looks like. That's seeing yourself as wicked and sinful, need of a Savior. And it's not just Him rescuing you, but once He rescues you and you enter in by faith, now He's Lord of your life. And now He has a standard. Now He has an expectation. And now what He says carries a weight that it hasn't before. So we submit to Him as... Lord as well. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Church, that's great news. That is great news. That's that rescue mission being made known. I mean, I mean, all the more, look, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Not condemned here means you're innocent of the accusation. And hear me, you've got to know that there is an accuser that comes after you. 
There is an accuser who is constantly in the ear of accusing us. That's what Satan does. But by being not condemned because of our belief and faith in him, we're, we're innocent. That's what that means. We're not condemned. We're innocent of the accusation. Uh, there's no sentence inflicted. It's a no guilty verdict is what it is. So the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. You and I fully deserve condemnation. You and I fully deserve to have the book thrown at us. And you would think that the image of God taking on flesh and blood, coming to live a perfect life in this world would be, would be all about that. But instead what he does is he comes and he makes a way and he says, I will take I will take what they rightfully deserve. And in that, what we get is his righteousness and holiness. I mean, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful scripture here. Whoever believes in him is not going to... You're innocent. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning. And, and listen, this is not like just a, 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 a thing that you can just go do whatever you want to do now because, because you're innocent. But what you need to know is that you're, you're not defined by your sin or your dumb decision that you made or, or your past. You're defined in Christ. <coughs> when God looks at you, what he sees is his son Jesus. The doctrine of justification. Where we're declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I don't care what anybody else says about you. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, if you are found in Christ, then the verdict on you is not guilty. Sin, past, present, and future, all forgiven. And that's not a ticket for us just to go live however we want to live. Which what that would do would prove and show that we don't understand what grace is, what this justification is, what this faith is. It would prove that we don't understand what that is. And maybe we're not a part of what we think we're a part of. But for whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now the flip. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So, so do you see the contrast? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But who, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe it, you're already condemned. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So for those who have not believed in Jesus, you are guilty and you will receive God's holy wrath. That's what the scripture says. Church, that's why we labor so hard to share the gospel. That's why we should be broken over the lost. That's why we should do everything in our power to live out the love of Jesus everywhere we go and everything that we do and everything that we say. See, because what we see here in verse 18 just restates what was already said in verse 16. It's in a different way. That verse, verse 18 restates verse 16 and it sets up what Jesus is going to say next and where he's going to go next. The difference is that the result of believing and not believing is not described in terms of, of us perishing in eternal life, but instead in terms of being condemned and not condemned. That's what he does here. And so that shift in the language, it's already happened in verse 17. The language is language of a courtroom setting, of a legal setting. And so the question, the rub here is this, is if Christ did not condemn, then why are some condemned? If that wasn't Jesus' purpose, then why does Jesus say that there are already some that are condemned? 
And verse 18 tells us it's because they're already in that condition when Jesus came. They were already in that condition when Jesus came. See, Jesus did not come to a, a neutral world. That's not how this works. That's not how he arrives. It wasn't neutral. And, and something switched in people and then they become anti-Jesus and others move from neutral to pro-Jesus. Hear me, nobody was neutral. Nobody was neutral. You don't come into this world neutral. That's not how it works. We're, we're born into as sinful, as, as wicked and rebellious, as enemies of God is what the scripture teaches. That's how we come into this world. Not neutral. We've all sinned. We're all guilty and we're all perishing is what the scriptures teach. Therefore, all of us are under what? God's holy and righteous wrath. And we're already condemned. We are already condemned. And so whether we stay in that way or whether we stay in that place depends on how we respond to Jesus. It depends on what we do with Christ. So hear me, church. Jesus did not come to make neutral people and to pro-Jesus people. That's not why he came. He came to make guilty people non-guilty, condemned people not condemned, and to make dead, dead people eternally alive. That's why Jesus came. That was the whole point of him coming and living and dying for us. Not to make neutral people like Jesus. Not to make neutral people because there's no neutral people. There's only condemned people. There's only dead people. There's only guilty people. And he wants to flip that. And the way that that is flipped is through faith in him. Now to verse 19. <coughs> he says this. He says, and this is the judgment. And I think we just need to kind of talk for a moment here. Uh, because this is definitely a word that our uh, world loves to use. Our world loves to throw out. I mean, even in the church, we're guilty of kind of coattailing on this and kind of jumping on this bandwagon. Uh, I mean, none of us like judgment. Uh, none of us like to be judged. None of us like to be assessed. None of us like to have any of that stuff happen to us. Uh, again, we love law and order as long as it don't pertain to us. As long as we get all the other crazies and we leave ourselves alone. You know what I'm saying? Because we always paint our picture in a better light than we really are, don't we? We always make ourselves believe that we're better than our bum neighbor, whoever over here. At least I don't kick my dog and cuss at my kids. So we always go that route. And so I, I can remember a few years ago, we were on vacation. As we're on vacation, I, I see a shirt, and the shirt, uh, the shirt says this. The shirt, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was like it had a picture of Jesus kind of doing like one of these things. Um, and it said, only God can judge me. Okay, all right. Well, which sounds like, a, like okay, that's a cool shirt. We'll sell them in the lobby next week. It'll be great. We'll make some money for our youth again. There you go. You're welcome. But, but it's like, it seems like a, a great little thing until, until you really think about the statement that's being said. And, and, and I believe it's probably out of, some of it's out of ignorance. Some of it's probably out of hurt. <coughs> some of it, I mean, I just, I just don't think there's a full understanding of what that shirt says. So only God can judge me, to which I say, yes and amen. You're right. But the problem with that is that you don't want God to judge you. See, my judgment goes into Jesus. Because he takes my sin and my shame upon himself on the cross. Because I enter into faith. I, I've seen myself as sinful and in need of a savior. And so I abandon all that I am and I claim Jesus through faith. And so as a result of that, Jesus answers and he is the one that gets judged on my behalf. And I'm imputed righteousness, I'm imputed holiness, I'm imputed all of that while Jesus takes what I rightfully deserve. And so 
the, the reality is, is no one wants what that shirt says. Only God can judge me. No, 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 no. He, he does in Jesus. And so there's something we've got to understand about that. There, there's two ways that this, this judging type thing happens. It's, one, it's either, either God will be your just judge or he will be your gracious father. That's the two ways that God's going to judge. If he judges as your gracious father, Jesus takes the wrath. If he judges as your just judge, you take the wrath. And so my fear is that that mentality is kind of like flooded into the church a little bit. This whole thought of only God can judge me or don't judge me. And so what we do is we like to, we like to look at certain Bible verses like this, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. And so we like to quote that one. So what, I'm, what people like to do with that verse is simply say this. You can't judge me. Jesus just said, don't judge. And that sounds really, really good if you just look at that text and you want to uh, strip it of all of its meaning and all of its weight and all of its beauty. Because that's, a, again, another beautiful portion of Scripture as it all is. Uh, and the problem is, is context. And so I would love for us as, as men and women of God get to that place where we understand that the scriptures were written at a particular time for particular people for a particular purpose. And it can never say to us what it did not say to them. Never. And what happens is, is we like to proof text. I mean, you can take the scriptures and you can strip them of their meaning and almost make them say whatever you want to make them say. If you do stuff like that. And so what happens is so many people use this first in an attempt to try to silence their critics. And they interpret Jesus' meaning as you don't have the right to tell me that I'm wrong. I mean, do we not live in a world like that today? I mean, even in the church. Like, we, we, don't, we, we don't want to be held accountable. Do you want to know how I land at that place? Let's talk about church discipline for a moment. That's where that old fogey type church stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, the original church, like, like back in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit birthed it and she became, yeah, that, that's that old fogey church if you want to go back to, I'm not talking about a piano and an organ, all that junk. That, no. I'm talking about the church, the original church. And church discipline is an act of love. Church discipline isn't hateful, isn't mean, isn't, it would be the, if we never tell you that you're wrong. Like, if I didn't stand up here and tell you that you need Jesus and just keep doing what you're doing and everybody will eventually get there and, and, and it'll just be grand and great and kids, if your parents love you, then you're fine. Do whatever you want to do. And live. That, that would be horrific. <coughs> so if I never told you the truth, if Jesus never told us the truth about ourselves, that would be horrific and awful. But because God loves us, he's given us his word. He's given us uh, rails to run on, a way to live, a way to be. And church discipline is a beautiful thing if done right. Now, the problem is most people don't do it right. Usually church discipline let me get my five boys together and we'll go, who do we need to take out this week? Who watched the rated R movie? Who, who said that, that maybe could be interpreted as a cuss word? Maybe not. Like, like, let's, like let's Facebook holiness watch now. And then we'll have our group roll up to their house. The siren's going. We won't tell them we're coming. And so we won't take the necessary steps in church discipline out of love. And, and then we'll roll up and, and we will judge. And we will act like that. And, and I believe that that is unbiblical and that is wrong because uh, church discipline is always in love. We want to see the brother restored. 
is what it says over in the book of Matthew. We want to see our brother and sister won back. And so what happens so often, church, is what we do is, is we don't want to be told that we're wrong. We don't want this to happen. Nobody has the right to do that. And when we take certain scriptures in isolation, like this one, Jesus' command, do not judge, does not indeed seem to prevent people from making a negative assessment. That's not what it's saying here. However, there is much, much more to this passage than just those three words. And it doesn't mean that we don't show discernment. That's not what that means here. Immediately after Jesus says something, he says this. He says, do not judge. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. A little later in the same chapter here, in the same sermon, he says, watch out for false prophets. By their fruit you will recognize them in verses 15 and 16. I mean, he makes those statements. I mean, how in the world do we discern who are dogs and pigs and false prophets unless we have the ability to make a judgment? Unless we have the ability to make a judgment call on, on doctrine and deeds. On what they say they believe. On how they live out what they say they believe. So Jesus gives us permission to tell right from wrong. He does that. And we're going to look at that here in a few minutes. But he, he gives us the okay, We're allowed to do that. He said you will know a tree by its fruit. How do you know if a tree's got fruit? You look at it. You assess, you check out the bark, you maybe go over and look at the leaves, you kind of see what size it is, what shape it is, and in doing that, okay, that's going to be peaches this year. Or that's going to be pears, or that's going to be, I mean, the same thing goes for brother and sister in Christ. As we look to assess, why, so we know what to do, we know how to step in, we know how to pray for, we know how to walk with, and I'm going to get to that here in a moment. And so I just, I just want to say this for a second too to kind of dial it back for just a moment. I've heard this statement made that there's only, you have one time to make a first impression. And I say yes we do, but I also go down this road too. I mean, how many people's had a bad day this week? Uh, we, we're going to participate for a moment church. How many people probably acted like you shouldn't have acted this week? Alright, this altar should be full. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Me too. How many people said something they probably shouldn't have said this week? Looked at something they probably shouldn't have looked at? Responded in a way that they probably shouldn't have responded? Oh, me too. Good. We're all on the same page here. Good. Uh, me too. And there is grace and there is mercy for us. And so we've got to be careful. We've got to make sure that this is an ongoing action. That this is an ongoing way of life. That this is how this person, this shows where this person's heart is. And we've just got to be careful not to just jump and go at people in a moment's notice. Now, now hear me. There's nothing wrong with pulling a brother aside and being like, dude, maybe you're a little harsh there. Or maybe you shouldn't have said that. Or maybe you shouldn't have acted in that manner in that moment. Like, dang it, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry. And, and then you apologize or you do. And, and that's what, hear me church, that's what differentiates us and sets us apart in this world. We're not called to live perfect. We're called to be holy. And what that means is when we mess up, we make right what we've messed up. And hear me, there have been many a time in my life where I have made a phone call and I've needed to, to apologize to somebody. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then I just hang up the phone and move on. No, no, I don't. I say, well, well, dude, I said this, and I just feel like the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And you know what? Most of the time it does more in your heart, encouraging you by God's love and grace and mercy, working in, in you, than it does the other person. And what it's doing is showing the other person how to live a holy life. Uh, what Jesus looks like in this world. I mean, you won't, I can't tell you the times I've called somebody. And so we've just got to be careful there. We've got to know. 
See, Jesus, later on, he even does this in, in John 7, 24. He gives a direct commandment there to judge. He says, stop judging by mere appearances. So uh, the thought is that you're already ju you're judging, you're looking at, you're assessing. He says, but instead judge correctly. So what I want to do is spend a minute here is just, just looking at some other verses and some other areas where we can put together a little description of, of sinful type of judgment. And this will probably sting for just a moment, and I pray to God that it does, and I pray that there's conviction, and as a result of conviction that there's repentance, because I would be willing to bet that we're all guilty of this, maybe even this week. So the type of judgment that's sinful and, and wrong is this, is the superficial judgment. Like passing judgment on someone based solely on appearance is sinful, is what John seven twenty four teaches us. So to look at someone and be like, oh, yeah, they, there ain't no way that you're a Christian, mm. You got a green shirt on, dude. Now you, brother, in the red, God bless you because the blood's red. And Jesus, yes. Or because somebody don't wear the same kind of jeans or because they don't wear the same kind of clothes or they don't wear the same kind of uh, judging on a pair of their hair. Look at my dang hair, for goodness sakes. I just roll out of bed and go, man. It's easy. It's the greatest thing in the world. Shower, no shower. Oh, you have to get close enough to see. But anyways, making judgments on that on appearance, wrong. Hypocritical judgments is sinful and wrong. Jesus commands uh, not to judge others in Matthew 7, 1, and then he proceeds it by comparisons of hypocrites. Uh, that's what he does, and that's what he shows us. So that hypocritical judgment, harsh, unforgiving judgment is wrong. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and you will measure, uh, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, Matthew 7, 2. Now, we're real good at judging other people by a standard we don't even judge ourselves by. And, and what Jesus says there is that is wrong, that is sinful, and there needs to be repentance. Because the way that you judge others, you need to judge yourself. And, and, and really, if we want to judge ourselves, we've got the Word of God to do that on. Th that's where the measuring stick is, is right there. Not, not our neighbor or our cousin or whoever else that just can't quite get it all together. So harsh, unforgiving judgment is sinful and wrong. Self-righteous judgment is wrong. We're, we're called to, uh, to a life of humility. And God opposes the proud. Uh, untrue judgment is wrong. The, the Bible clearly forbids bearing false witness. And so those are some types of judgments that are wrong. Are wrong. We, we, need to, we need to be motivated by the love of God. That if we're going to judge and look at and assess, it's always, it's always by the standard that Jesus had. And it's always through what his word proclaims and tells us. That's the way that we do it. That's the way that we look at it. And it's always for the purpose of walking with and caring for and sharing with and, and, and helping, helping disciple. That is why we judge. That is why we look at it. That's why we assess. That's why we do what we do. And we listen in conversation. And we watch and we take in and we check. Why? Because we want to see people get closer to Jesus. We want to know whether or not they know Christ as Lord or not. And so what's happened is the church and Christians were often accused of, of judging and being intolerant when we speak out against sin. That's kind of usually where it comes from, especially from the world. And I'm just going to say this. I think that we've done a horrific job of calling out sin. I just don't think that we're very good at that. We think that we're really good at it because we can sit back, oh, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. And we forget that little verse where it says, well, don't worry about the, uh, the little speck in your brother's eye when you got the log in your eye. Like, we forget that kind of stuff. We, know we just need to go at them and get them. We can fix them and make them know how bad they are. And it's easy. Is it not easy to sit back and call out sin in other people's life? 
And I feel like that, that's where we've went as the church or even as followers of Jesus. But hear me, opposing sin is not wrong. It's the heart in which we do it and even the way in which we do it, I think, that matters. And see, so often what happens is holding loosely to the standard of righteousness. Naturally, what it does is, is define unrighteousness. And when we address it, what usually happens is there's a hard response uh, to those who choose sin over godliness. So, so we need to be ready and we need to know that. That's why we need to be prayed up. That's why we need to be seeking. That's why we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this, that I just don't believe that Facebook and social media is the place to practice such holy judgment. I just don't feel like that's the right place to do it. Because I'll say this, if you're not willing to walk with that person or sit down and have a conversation with that person or look them in the eye and talk to them about, about whatever it is that you need to, you just need to shut up and not do it. Because that's not love, that is judgment. Social media calling out people, what it is is just to show everybody else how holy and righteous I am and how bad and, and a horrible follower of Jesus they are or how janky and messed up the other person is. And so if you're not willing to pick up the phone and have a conversation, or if you're not willing to sit down and look them in the eye and have a conversation out of love and saying, brother, I'm with you to the end in this, then you need not say anything. I mean, because any coward can sit behind a computer screen and type whatever they need to type to let everybody else know how bad they are and whatever Bible verse they want to attach to it to make themselves look good. Sorry, I'm not sorry. Church, we just got to do better. That's not love. And I wasn't on Facebook this week looking at what you posted. Now, I probably will go back after this. No, I'm joking. That's what we've got our trustees and stuff for. I'm, I'm joking. We're not. That's what we've got the Holy Spirit for. He will convict you of sin. I'm just going to tell you what he says. Um, that's all I can do. But church, we've, we've got to be willing to walk with people. See, the world or people may accuse us of being judgy or judgmental, but it better not be the case. Uh, the world can accuse us and they can label us and they can say things to us. And, and usually the reason why it happens like that is because we've done, like I said, a horrific job of calling out sin and a horrific job of loving people the way that Christ would want us to love people. Yeah, we're easy to, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe. It's so easy to do that. And especially nowadays, like I said, with social media and those platforms like that, it's so easy to call out and to be something that you're really not or to act like big and bad in Jesus and you're, you're really not. It's so easy to do that and it's so difficult to follow it out the way that Christ would follow it out or the way that Christ would want us to do it, to love somebody enough to walk with them, to love somebody enough to care for them, to love somebody enough to have that conversation and be like, I don't care how you respond to this, I'm going to continue to love you and pray for you. Even if you won't let me in, that's fine, I'm going to continue to do this. I can't tell you how many times I've had to have those type of conversations. But where I've had a conversation with a guy, I said, dude, what you're doing is wrong, it's simple, you need to, no, don't. And I can have a little more difficult, harder conversation with them, why? Because I've been walking with them. They know I care for them. And I can't tell you how many times they've pushed me away and wanted nothing to do with me as a result of it. And you know what I did? I continued to pray for. I continued to shoot a little message here and there. Holy harassment is what I call it. It's a gift of God. And in a good, right way. You know, it's not like every day, like beating him up with a Bible verse or every day saying this. No, it says God presses upon my heart. Dude, you need to pray for him. You need to send him a text. You need to be thinking about that. You need to... And then as he does it, I'll do it. Or you need to send him a gift. I'm like, a gift? They're acting like a fool right now. I'm not going to give him a gift to be a fool. And God's like, son, you need to listen, dude. How many times have you acted like a fool and I've showed you love and grace and mercy? Do it. I mean, th that's what it looks like, Church. 
I mean, the world can say whatever they want to say about us. They can label us. They can attach us with whatever. It just better not be true when it's looked at deeper. Of course, everything from the surface can be made up of whatever it wants to be made up, and it can be said of however it wants to be said, but at a deeper, deeper level. Yeah, our, our neighbors may think that we're crazy, and those people that we try to hold accountable and love and walk with may think that we're crazy and we're fools for the moment, uh, but it better not be said that we are. He told me the truth about myself, and I got mad and ticked at him, but you know what? He kept sending me gifts. He kept sending me prayer. He, he kept t- loving me. That's what better be said of us, because if not, then it is judgmental, and it is judging, and that's a position that we can't hold, and that's the thing that we cannot do. Only God Almighty can do that. And so he goes on and he says this, and this is the judgment, the light. Now, you really want to know judgment? Here it comes. Not us. Here it comes. And this is the judgment, the light. That light, of course, is who? Jesus, the Son of God, who in verse 16 was given to the world. In verse 17 was sent to the world. Uh, Jesus is the very presence of God. John 1, 5 says God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So the word was what God so when the word became flesh, light came into the world, for God is light. And what does light do? It exposes and it makes known, and that is exactly what Jesus did and continues to do. That's where the standard is, in the light, in Jesus. Verse 19 started out by saying that the coming of Jesus is a kind of judgment, and the rest of this verse, in the next two, will explain the two kinds of responses his coming has as a result of him being the light. And that first response is in this, as we continue in verse 19, is this. The first response to that light is negative. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The world that we talked about in 316, they love darkness. Why? Because they can do whatever they want to do. They, they're not exposed. They're not seen. The, uh, the reality and the heart behind it is not made known. They love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their works are evil. He goes on in 24. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And so church, when the light of the world begins to shine on a person's life, it'll either break them and lead them further into repentance and faith, or it will drive them further into the darkness. Why? Because dark, wicked things loves the dark. The sinful heart of mankind cannot take, cannot take it when their sinful uh, works, their sinful thoughts and feelings, and when it's forced into the light of Christ. And hear me, when it's exposed, we've got to do something with it. We can either try to hide it or pull the dark back over, or we can try to run from it, or we can finally just give up and submit to it. But hear me, sin is ugly, it's hideous, and it has surrounded itself with darkness. It doesn't want to be exposed for what it really is. Because sin lives in places of deception and deceit and it disguises itself as good and right. That's what sin does. Sin hates the light and it's fearful of being exposed. Fearful of being exposed. So let's go there for a second. What secret sin is in your life? I mean, who knows you? Oh, my wife, yeah, she should know you, but she probably don't know you like you think she knows you. There's that one area that she probably don't know about, doesn't she? Well, my buddy, does he really know you? Do you have those conversations weekly? Like, man, how you, how you doing with what you're looking at? Well, my golf, no, 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 not, not that what you're looking at. And that lustful heart. How are you doing with what you're saying? 
How are you doing with, with, with how you're, you're giving of your time, your resources, your energy? How are, uh, those type of conversations. We're, we're, we go deeper than just surface level junk, like your golf swing or where you're going for vacation or man, school's about over, hallelujah, I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we swam this weekend, it was great. Uh, more than that stuff. Like when, when they ask how you're doing and they really mean how are you doing, how's your soul? And you've come to that place where there is liberty and there is freedom to, to confess to your brother or sister. That's where freedom is. Now, where, where the darkness has been exposed, like that's where freedom is. Where there's nothing hidden and you are known. And hear me, I know how scary that is. And that's a lie from the pits of hell. Why? Because darkness doesn't like light and it doesn't want, darkness wants you to think that if somebody really knows you, do you know what they're going to say about you? I'll tell you right now what they better say about you in this church. Or again, like what I say like a couple weeks ago, like a holy chop to the throat. If you don't like encourage and love somebody, fear is a great motivator. And it's not of God, so we're not going to do that. But now we're going to celebrate with the brother who comes out of sin, the sister who's rescued and redeemed from that junk. I mean, when you're fully known and there's nothing hidden, you can't be exposed. Only the darkness will tell you that if they knew that about you. Only the darkness will tell you, well, if the church, then you can't do that. Or if, only darkness will do that stuff. I mean, there is freedom in Christ. And in that, there is no worry of being exposed. Like, I don't have to worry about being caught in something. Because I've got accountability in my life. Why? Because I like the light most of the time. And hear me, even in this unredeemed flesh, the shell that I live in, there are times that I fight against it. But I've got people in my life to help me kill it. Because I know, church, I know if I don't, I'm the next casualty in the pulpit. I'm the next dude that runs off with another woman. I'm the next guy that embezzles. I'm the next guy that does this. I'm the next guy that hits a kid. And I don't want that. I know that I'm weak in my flesh. And I'm only strong in him. Uh, As much as sometimes I like the dark, I want to fight against it with everything in me. Because I want stuff exposed. Because when there's exposure, there's nothing to hide. Uh, Like the the little code type thing on my phone is all twos so my kids can get in it. And I've already said in my heart way back when before because I know the struggle that I've had with stuff and lust and things like that that I don't want to go down that road with them and how devastating it would be if my boys found something on my phone. So they know my password all too. So now does everybody else. And so help me if you get in there and take pictures and set as a screen. I mean, fr- frankly, he's not in here. Back there. He knows the password to my computer and all my passwords well, because they're all the same. So does my wife. Why? Because I want to be exposed. I don't want to risk it and I don't want to chance it. And church, we don't need to. That's the life that we need to live. And man, do you know the freedom that I have when my wife picks up my phone or if she opens up my computer or if she gets on my iPad? I don't have to worry about any of that. I don't, I don't have to worry about, well, crud, she caught me or she found it. And I don't have to worry about somebody in this room finding something out about me but because I've got guys that I tell. I'm going to tell them before you find it out. And I'm going to run to Jesus and ask him to break my heart and crush me over my sin. That needs to be our response. I'm sorry, I don't know. I got off there just to get back to it. But that, it's negative. We hate, the world hates that kind of stuff. Because in their mind, they've believed the lie of, of what's not true about the light. Which brings us to the second response to light, and it's positive. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So those that act in obedience with the light will always come to the light and not run from it. Always. And the reason for that is that they will come 
is so that God gets the glory in doing work in the heart of his follower. All I know is that lost and unregenerate Scott didn't want the light in his life. I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted to do in secret. I wanted to be able to hide it. I wanted to be able to, I didn't want, and there was always this fear of, oh gosh, what if I get caught? And I can remember early on in my walk with Christ, there was still always, that, oh gosh, what if I get caught? And there were times where I did get caught in some stuff, and I would just kind of like wax it, oh no, it wasn't like that, or you, mis- you misinterpreted it. Now I just, I just want to live, I mean, I don't have to worry about that. Why? Because there's freedom in Christ. It's there. I, I, I love the light. Why? Because it exposes and it helps me know and see, and it shows that God's working in me. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to hang out. Church, that's, that's what that love of God does in us as it motivates us. We assess and we judge, but it's not a final judgment in the way that that shirt read. It is a judgment of love and mercy and care for uh, with the hopes of winning a brother or sister and pushing them and compelling them to come to Christ. All the while being open and honest about our struggles and, and our shortcomings why, so that we can show them that Christ is active and working in us. That's what that is about. That's how we should live our life. That's how it should be done. And the thing I love about these verses is that God loved the world. And he gave his son. And if we believe there is everlasting life for eternity. And we need to remember that Jesus didn't come as the man comes. Jesus did not come to condemn, but he came to save and rescue and redeem. That's what he has come for. That's it. And there is freedom in that. And the darkness tells us otherwise. But we need to be in the light, living in the light, walking in the light. Letting the light expose. Why? So that we can continue to walk close to Christ. So I don't know what God's convicted you of this morning. I don't know what he said to your heart this morning. But I want to tell you right now that there is freedom in the light. And that the darkness is going to do everything it can to tell you that you don't need to tell somebody, that you don't need to get help, that you just need to work a little bit harder, that you just need to try a little bit more, that maybe you need to be here next Sunday and that's two weeks in a row. And now you're kind of on this little roll and then you can miss three weeks and you'll be okay. It's going to tell all kinds of stuff like that. Which again is just lies and it's just darkness. You need to confess. You need to walk with a brother or sister. You need to have accountability. We need those in our life. And he came to provide that. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. God, I pray you just work here this morning in this place. God, I know heavy, weighty stuff that has been proclaimed in this place this morning. And Father, God, I pray that I haven't messed it up or that I haven't said anything that I shouldn't or I haven't went too far or I haven't done anything to take the focus off of who you are and what you've done. 